Hello, my name is Kristen Smith, and welcome to the Sight Black Women podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting a special conversation between Professor Dinah Ramey Berry of the University of Texas at Austin, Professor Callie Gross of Rutgers University, and third-year PhD student in the Department of History, Tiana Wilson. And they are going to be in conversation about Professor Berry and Professor Gross's brand new book, A Black Women's History of the United States. I'm so excited about this podcast and ready to dive right in. We will post their full bios in our description. Enjoy. Okay, well, thank you, Dr. Kristen Smith and Sight Black Women for having us today. Today we have with us Dr. Dinah Ramey Berry and Dr. Callie Nicole Gross. I am Tiana Wilson. I'm a third-year doctoral student in the history department here at UT Austin. And today we're here to talk about the book titled A Black Women's History of the United States, published by Beacon Press in 2020. So a little bit about our authors. Dr. Dinah Ramey Berry is the Oliver H. Ratke Regents Professor of History here at UT Austin. She completed her BA, MA, and PhD in African American Studies and U.S. History at UCLA. Dr. Berry is a specialist on the history of gender and slavery in the U.S. and Black women's history. She is the award-winning author and editor of five books and several scholarly articles. Her recent book, The Price for Their Pound of Flesh, The Value of Enslaved from Womb to the Grave and the Building of a Nation, was published by Beacon Press as well in 2017, which has awarded three book awards, including the 2018 Hamilton Book Prize from the University Co-op for the Best Book Among UT Austin Faculty, the 2018 Best Book Prize from the Society for the History of Early American Republic, also known as SHEER, and the Phyllis Wheatley Award for the scholarly research from the Sons and Daughters of the U.S. Middle Passage. Barry's book is also a finalist for the Frederick Douglass Book Prize um, from Yale University for the most outstanding nonfiction book in English on the subject of slavery, abolition, or anti-slavery movements. We also have Dr. Callie Nicole Gross, who is the Martin Luther King Jr. Professor of History at Rutgers University. She completed her BA, MA, and PhD at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Gross' research concentrates on Black women's experiences in the United States criminal justice system between the late 19th and early 20th century. Additionally, her writing frequently explores how legacies of race, gender, and justice currently shape mass incarceration. Her first book titled Color Amazons, Crime, Violence, and Black Women in a City of Brotherly Love, 1880-1910, through 1910, won the Letitia Woods Brown Memorial Prize presented by the Association for Black Women's History, as well as the John Hope Franklin MS Prize. Her most recent book, Hannah Mary Tapps and a Disembodied Torso, A Tale of Race, Sex, and Violence in America, was published in 2016, and it was the 2017 Hurston slash Wright Legacy Award for nonfiction. And Dr. Gross has also won awards from the Schromberg Center, uh, Ford Foundation, the National Institute for Health, NIH fellowships as well. Today we welcome Dr. Berry and Dr. Gross. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, we're happy to be here. Well, thank you, Dr. Berry and Dr. Gross. So I just want to start off with kind of discussing the origins of the book. How did it come about? Why now? Why do you think an important work like this is necessary for today's contemporary moment? And who is the intended audience? 
I'll take a stab at the first part of that question, those series of questions. The first is that we um, were approached by Beacon Press to write the book, and we were happy because we had been having conversations for a couple years um, with not just the two of us but other scholars about trying to find ways to think about black women's history in a moment where there's been a number of publications and the book that many people use um, Darlene Clark Hine and Kathleen Thompson's A Shining Thread of Hope had been published about 22 years ago. So that's really the origin of why we thought it was time to do another project like that nature. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and one of the things that we wanted to take into account was how we would write an overview of Black women's history in a way that would be informative and inclusive, but also accessible, um, and in a manner that really would serve the needs of readers in the 21st century. Um, And so I think that was a part of us thinking about what kinds of themes to use um, and other, you know, other groups to sort of highlight and include as a way to help serve classrooms today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So kind of thinking about the overview of the book, can you kind of just discuss your choices for the structure? Um, I know you all start with a narrative um, before each structure, as well as your periodization and how studying the contemporary or the the standard uh, master narrative of U.S. history, how that doesn't necessarily map onto black women's history and Were there any discussions on the periodization and how looking at Black women's history kind of like disrupts um, traditional U.S. readings of U.S. history? That was great. We um, we actually did. We actually started off thinking about a textbook kind of model and realized really early on that this was not a textbook um, and that the way we wanted to write it was based on themes that affected and impacted black women. So the timeline was going to be much different than the typical timeline. And we actually even at one point had dates at the end of the chapters, and we removed them, if I remember correctly. <laughs> no, they're still, they're still there. there. Oh, okay. They're still there. See? I know. <laughs> Read no, your own you book. Know, no, what, I know. No, seriously. You know, I mean, because it's always, it, was a, it was a back and forth, right? Because, I mean, I think, mm-hmm. exactly. We started off with this one model. It clearly wasn't, it wasn't working in terms of how we were writing, and we were kind of going back and forth around what to include and how. And I remember I initially had a lot of problems letting go mm-hmm. of that standard periodization. Mm-hmm. Dinah was flowing with it. Mm-hmm. She was already there. I was, it took me a minute to kind of think about how to reimagine mm-hmm. this, you know, this history in a way that just sort of let black women's experiences and narratives really drive. I'm used to having it drive like the writing, mm-hmm. but I think it, it took me another step to think about how to let that drive the periodization. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the opening vignettes help, like starting off with a story mm-hmm. of a figure that kind of was emblematic of each sort of, you know, period that we look at in the chapter helped me get to that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that they sort of flow well now mm-hmm. as a result of that. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. came out of the um, the manuscript workshop that we mm-hmm. had at Rutgers um, right before the book was to be submitted, or maybe about six months before it was due. I think it was, was about six, six months. Six months before it was mm-hmm. due. And we sat with a team of scholars, black women historians from different generations. Yeah, we had the dream team, really. We did. We, did. Uh-huh. we also had a dream team of people that, that read the work. We did. In addition to the women that were at the workshop. Definitely. So we have a lot of people to thank. But at that workshop is where one of the scholars suggested that we open up each chapter with a woman. 
mm-hmm. or, a, or a young girl because they're mm-hmm. various ages. And that, that gave us the structure that sort of finalized the last part of that writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things, too, that I want to say since we were talking about the, the workshop, because I think it also is still sort of, I think it will propel our conversation, but also answer some of the mm-hmm. other parts of the questions you'd asked before. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was really generous with their time and input. Mm-hmm. And I think it really demonstrates like that collective desire mm-hmm. to have a newer sort of overarching survey mm-hmm. that kind of better looked at the expansive breadth of where the historiography is at this mm-hmm. point yes. also. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's true. We have a lot of folks to thank, but also... You know, and I was impressed by that, too, just the generosity of so many sister scholars. Mm -hmm. But also, I do think it it helps to just highlight that, that there was really a sense of like, yeah, we kind of need this now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it kind of brings me to my other question and thinking about co-authorship and the intellectual labor or thinking about black women's writing, black women's history as a collective and how that reframes our professional pursuits and how we think about the importance of mentorship, workshops, conferencing. Um, So can you kind of discuss the the pros and cons or the challenges um, and co-authoring and the benefits of it, and especially thinking about the different specializations that you both bring. So Dr. Berry as a slavery scholar, you as working in mass incarceration and early 20th century history, um, and how you kind of, because you're covering a broad scope, did you have to lean on outside scholars for like the 1960s, 70s, or more contemporary moments? So what was the process of this collective writing Black women's history? That's a great question. We sat down and spent a lot of time talking. Um, we were at the same institution at the time, just thinking about the project. And this project actually has been under contract for a, longer than our second book project. So mm-hmm. the Hannah Mary Tabbs book with mm-hmm. Dr. Gross wrote mm-hmm. and The Pies for the Pound of Flesh, those books were written before this, although this book was Black Women's History was contracted before those two. Mm-hmm. So that just shows you how long we've kind of been thinking about this and having conversations. The um, idea of the generations and the, the scholarship, that's something that we thought about at every stage of the writing process because we were leaning on scholars that came before us mm-hmm. and scholars that are younger than us mm-hmm. that are our students or other people's students mm-hmm. that are doing work that we knew about, mm-hmm. but we haven't necessarily incorporated it into our work. So mm-hmm. that was one thing, but just lots of conversations, right? Def- I think definitely a lot of conversations. And I want to say, too, we really relied on feedback from folks like as you said I just want to echo that through every period Mm -hmm. so even in the area that is my Mm -hmm. you know specialty Mm -hmm. I still asked other folks Mm -hmm. to really look at it to make sure that we were getting kind of what we needed to to get at Um, and so I definitely think in terms of thinking about challenges, I definitely think scheduling mm. was was a was a big hurdle. Um, we were also in different time zones, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because as, as Diana said, you know, I used to I was former faculty at mm-hmm. UT, mm-hmm. so when we initially started, we were both here. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, after going to you know New Brunswick, it was like okay, trying to coordinate <laughs> some of that. Um, but we, you know, we made it happen at different conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. technology certainly helped mm-hmm. a lot, but I do think overall that was the biggest challenge. In terms of what I think was a real benefit, mm-hmm. um, but just some of the different sort of innovative ideas and like mm. the freshness. I mean, I think Dinah's idea to start 
the book with Isabel de Olvera was like, you know, like a, literally like a, a stroke of genius, you know, just to I was really happy to find, learn from her from other scholars, really, you know? For mm-hmm. sure. And it's, I mean, it's just like those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I think that there are just these moments where you start to recognize, I mean, you know, you, you know your, your colleague is mm-hmm. like smart and brilliant mm-hmm. in all these ways, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But like then, you know, in the course of sort of reading it over and, and adding different feedback mm-hmm. and, and those kinds of things, it was those places where I felt like it was also beneficial. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I think I would add that Dr. Gross and I have talked about in public spaces as well is that we both went through personal losses, mm-hmm. deep, deep personal mm-hmm. losses, um, the loss of parents mm-hmm. during this project. I lost mm-hmm. my father mm-hmm. and she lost her mother mm-hmm. and she lost her cousin mm-hmm. right at the end. Mm-hmm. And so that put us in a different space because when you're you don't you don't know how grief is going to approach you mm-hmm. or how it's going to embrace you. Mm-hmm. And some days it's easier than others. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that was something that we wanted to honor Mm -hmm. and the publisher was kind enough to give us that space because Mm -hmm. we had to push this deadline back more than once Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to you know that that there's a lot of other relationships involved with the Mm -hmm. publisher the distributor Mm -hmm. the Mm printer you know all these relationships the Mm -hmm. scheduling Mm -hmm. what what catalog it's in and they were like they allowed us to just don't worry about that Mm -hmm. you you all let us know when you can do this Mm -hmm. and don't push there was days where both of us had writing blocks Mm -hmm. where we just couldn't push through Mm -hmm. um so that's something that is real and that I wanted to share that, that Dr. Gross has been so gracious about sharing. And um, it was her idea to dedicate the book to them. Mm-hmm. So they're there with us, mm-hmm. although they weren't there to see the book. They mm-hmm. were with us through the project. So mm-hmm. that's been really nice. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Berry and Dr. Gross. And I definitely saw the dedication as well. Um, approaching grief or writing through grief how did it shift the way you were analyzing your subjects or approaching your writing um, and thinking about the Black women you're writing who may not have had a proper burial or may have been, like, thinking about trauma and violence? And did you have to step back? And, like, what was that intellectual but also, like, spiritual growth that that had to occur to write this history that we often— don't necessarily get a chance to see through the actual text. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I definitely, I think, changed how we approach mm-hmm. that history. I mean, and, and something that, you know, we talked about, you know, African-American history, Black women's history, you know, is rife with mm-hmm. these, like, stories of, of loss mm-hmm. and grief and brutality mm-hmm. and, and this sort of unspoken trauma, mm-hmm. right? We know that people must have suffered trauma, but we don't have super detailed records mm-hmm. that demonstrate it. Um, but in kind of experiencing these really sort of like close, profound losses, mm-hmm. I think it gave us both like a different kind of understanding about what it must have taken for folks to undergo some of these experiences mm-hmm. um, and still have to push through. I mean, you know, we talk we talk about this a lot. You know, we talk about this even with your with your mother, right, yes. Doctor Doctor Ramey, mm-hmm. um, about like thinking about someone like Mamie Till Bradley, mm-hmm. Emmett mm-hmm. Till's mother, mm-hmm. 
and just kind of as mothers ourselves mm-hmm. now, right? Also, too, just, you know, imagining like the heartbreak. You have this horrible mm-hmm. loss, but, you know, you have to sort of put your grief to the side for a moment because you have to fight mm-hmm. just to get his body mm-hmm. back, just to get the coffin mm-hmm. open when mm-hmm. you do retrieve it, right? Yeah. You just to, you know, make this decision to show the world this go through this trial, face death threats, and know that you aren't going to get justice Mm -hmm. and still keep pushing forward. I mean, I just, that just, it blows my mind. Mm -hmm. So it definitely, I think, shaped our understanding in some respects of Mm -hmm. these things in a a much different way. Mm -hmm. And it also allowed us to think, I agree with everything you said. It just, it also allowed us to think about other mothers that we wrote about in the book and their the kinds of sacrifices mm-hmm. um, and lengths that they went to protect their children mm-hmm. or try to protect their mm-hmm. children, to find their children, to connect with their children. That when we, by the time we get to Emmett Till and Mamie Till Bradley's story, we've had all these other mothers and women who have been fighting for their lives and their children's lives. And then we have mothers that fought for their children's lives by taking their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's a whole host of emotions that are here that women experience, but then still fought. As as Callie said, they still fought for freedom. They still fought for independence. They still fought for respect. They still were fighting at every stage while mm-hmm. they were dealing with grief mm-hmm. and loss mm-hmm. and murder mm-hmm. and rape and mm-hmm. all kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, being incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And they still were fighting. And so for us mm-hmm. to write about this today... Mm-hmm. We had to draw on that and say, okay, this is what we're dealing with pales in comparison Mm -hmm. to the women who we write about in this book. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And thinking about the common themes or the broader themes of the text, and I know violence and activism are definitely two of them, Um, and just to name a a few others, travel, motion, migration, uh, labor, criminalization, art, performance, creativity, sexuality, pleasure, the erotic. Um, Which theme do you think was missing or underexplored in the earlier pioneering Black women's history books? So think about Darlene Clark Hines, Paula Giddings, um, Deborah Gray White. And, And how did it shape you writing this book and thinking like, okay, I really need we really need to include this theme in this work and make sure, you know, a certain group of women are reflected or represented um, in this text. Hmm. It's a tough one. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I think so when I think about it, I tend not to think about it in terms of like what theirs was missing, because mm-hmm. in some ways I feel like I don't want to seem unduly critical Mm -hmm. like you know they were like these pioneers Mm -hmm. you know who sort of you know basically like made the field Mm -hmm. right for us to sort of come on and Mm -hmm. and play on I think if anything else one of the things that we were doing was sort of celebrating all of the other works that have developed since that time Mm -hmm. and those necessitated us having to engage these other themes right Mm -hmm. so we have so many folks doing incredible work on 
you know, women and enslaved, you know, mm-hmm. enslaved women doing, you know, any manner of things, right? Early, early artists, right? Edmonia Lewis, uh, early black queer folks, mm-hmm. you know, Edmonia, mm-hmm. Gladys Bentley, Frances Thompson. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there were ways in which the works themselves, even thinking about black women in the Black Panther Party or Black Power Movement, or even in early black nationalist movements like the UNIA, like there was so much mm-hmm. work that have been mm-hmm. produced. Mm-hmm. You know, Tiffany Gill's work on black women in the beauty mm-hmm. problem. Like, you know, there was mm-hmm. way in which we, those those themes developed really out of sort of the mm-hmm. historiography mm-hmm. as it has now evolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also we wrote about differently abled women. I think mm-hmm. that's an intersection mm-hmm. that has been missed in several historiographies, mm-hmm. not just in black women's history. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to think about that and how we could talk about women mm-hmm. like the McCoy twins, mm-hmm. you know, the conjoined twins and their experiences and, and talk about it in a way that, they have as much to contribute mm-hmm. to this history mm-hmm. as others. And, and you know, I've seen that discussions on Twitter about um, looking at the, the, the cross-section between black, queer, women with disabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's just a whole lot of material out there that I think at the time when some of the other scholars were writing, it may not have been as accessible or even available. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, Callie, we don't want to criticize any of the mm-hmm. previous work because we stand on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And, like, this field would not be here if it wasn't for those scholars. We we're just trying to keep up with the scholarship that's being produced and the scholarship that's yet to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, can you discuss a little bit about the sourcing um, and your process of finding or recovering black women's voices in historical archives that are there weren't mint or mil- they excuse me i'm going to rework that question so could you discuss the sources what was the process in finding slash recovering black women's voices and archives that weren't meant for them or built for them or designed for them um and also thinking about the beautiful images that you have in the book and where did you find some of these images um and what were you what were your choices on including the images, why do you think it was so necessary? So I'll say something about the sources. We looked at all the secondary literature. We worked with research assistants and ourselves at archives all over the country to find and identify women that may not have been written about as much or as often as some of the the key um, sort of figures of black women's history. And even in that process, we experienced a level of erasure that black women have always experienced, even in the literature, but at the archive level, where we we knew that there was documents that had women listed. We'd call an archive and ask for a copy of that document. An archivist would say, there's no women in that document. Mm. So sometimes we'd have to push forward and say, well, can you please send me a PDF of that particular file? And sure enough, here's the mm-hmm. document. The woman's there. Mm-hmm. So we also wrote about unnamed women, women who we couldn't fully mm-hmm. flesh out their experiences mm-hmm. because we felt like they contributed just as much to this history as others. Okay, so one of the things that we really took pains to do was to also try to, to cite sources that were more readily available. So we saw, we cite documentaries, um, poems, music, literature, make reference to art. Um, and also we made use of a lot of online resources now as well. I mean, early on when we, and this is in the introduction, we talked about this isn't the definitive book on black women's mm-hmm. history, right? It's not a textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's an expansive survey mm-hmm. that is designed to sort of feature a variety of black women 
um, to introduce folks to that history, to demonstrate some of the key ways black women have shaped U.S. history, Mm -hmm. but also to inspire people to learn more. Um, and so some of the ways that, you know, we're hoping to do that is by sorting these sources mm-hmm. so that people can go and check out, mm-hmm. you know, the documentary on Emmett Till mm-hmm. and see Mamie Till Bradley mm-hmm. discuss this herself. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the strategies. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So are there any themes, figures or events that you think could further be explored Um you know, trying to think about junior scholars or graduate students like myself. And after reading your work, how should scholars, academics, the public approach the history of Black women in the U.S. differently? Wow. First question was, are there any women? I'm sorry, I always ask like multiple questions. Maybe (laughs) I should keep them like short and punchy. (laughs) First question again? Yes. So are there any themes, figures, events that you think should be further explored um, after reading? Yeah. Perfect. So um, I think I was really struggling with that early, early period, Mm. the period that scholars like Erica Armstrong Dunbar, um, Marisa Fuentes, Mm -hmm. Jennifer Morgan, Mm Since this is Cite Black Women, I'm Citing Black Women, Mm -hmm. Jessica Marie Johnson, (laughs) and a number of others Mm -hmm. have written. And I've always heard Jessica Millward talk about how difficult that colonial or early American history is, Mm -hmm. the vast early America. That is Mm -hmm. a challenging period. Mm -hmm. And to to look for women in those spaces, you'd Mm -hmm. have to first find out that there's a recognition that they're of African descent somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then then you do find women in that time period. But then Mm -hmm. it's to try to identify which which of these women are of African descent, Mm -hmm. if you can find them. Mm -hmm. The American Revolution, I think I would love there to be more work on black women Mm -hmm. during the American Revolutionary Mm -hmm. period. Because I think they were much more present than Mm -hmm. Quintard Taylor and some of the other scholars have written about, Mm -hmm. Deidre McDonald and others. But I'm, I'm really interested in that and seeing what else is there Mm -hmm. to find out what black women were doing. So we have all these women that were involved. We wrote about the women in the Book of Negroes Mm -hmm. and how they ran Mm -hmm. and went to Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. But even that journey and some of those people's individual stories, we have their names. Mm -hmm. So it'd be really interesting to look Mm -hmm. at their travel to Mm -hmm. New York to then Mm -hmm. get on a boat to go to Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. And what was their life afterwards? Mm -hmm. There hasn't been much work on that that I know of. It Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. because there's a large literature on black Canadian history. But it just seemed like that's a space that I would like to know more about. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a great question. I, I sort of feel like there's still so much up for grabs, to be honest. I mean, I definitely think we need more work done on Black women artists mm-hmm. um, writ large in, mm-hmm. in every period, mm-hmm. um, truthfully. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that's a space that mm-hmm. I would be interested in seeing more mm-hmm. on. I also think that there's this period in between kind of like the Renaissance and mm-hmm. World War II that is still really unexcavated. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of thinking about black women's political activism, mm-hmm. like after sort of like the way we think about like the club women, mm-hmm. right? You know, like mm-hmm. what, you know, I still, you know, I mean, I think that there are great work. I mean, Keisha Blaine's doing mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. work, right? Mm-hmm. LaShawn Harris, Shell mm-hmm. Hicks, folks doing stuff in, in that time mm-hmm. period that I think is um, incredible. 
But I would, I'm interested in, in so knowing more about some of that. And I mean, I think we've got really good work now happening with respect to black women in kind of that black power era also. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about certainly Ashley Farmer, Robin Spencer, Donna Murch. I mean, definitely, right, these works are, are happening, you know, and even now, like, you know, Deborah Gray White is still doing it. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. she just wrote about, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the millionaire margin mm-hmm. gender. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's still yeah. stuff mm-hmm. happening. But I definitely think we still need more work even on, you know, even on black women who maybe were more conservative. Um, In addition to still excavating work around black women, even who are engaged in like more kind of socialist, communist thought. I mean, Mm -hmm. LaShawn Harris has done some of that. Carol Boyce Mm -hmm. Davies has Mm -hmm. done some of that. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there's there's still a lot of room. I mean, the carceral state Mm -hmm. still, I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking about juvenile justice Mm -hmm. um, and also kind of sort of the the relationship between that and foster care, some mm-hmm. of these kinds of, mm-hmm. of legacies, like I would really like to see mm-hmm. how how maybe some of that history is related to kind of ongoing issues around mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. This also makes me think of religion and decentering Christianity. Yes. You know, Eula Taylor's done important work, yes. but we need more. We do. We do. That's right. And we, we cite Eula's work. Mm-hmm. We also cite Betty Collier Thomas's yes. work on like mm-hmm. black women and like more like the holiness mm-hmm. tradition, you know. Mm-hmm. So, we, but, but I agree. There's mm-hmm. definitely more, mm-hmm. more work to be done. And my second part of the question was, after reading your work, how should scholars, academics, the public approach the history of black women in the U.S. differently? That's a great question because... Even with our conversations that we've had since the book came out, mm-hmm. one of the things that shocked me in terms of people's responses was that they didn't know that there was a field of literature on black women's history. I mean, we mm-hmm. all know it mm-hmm. because that's where we anchor ourselves. But I'm, I'm surprised how much the general public didn't mm-hmm. know. And so people are like, I didn't know. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And one of the questions I've been asking people is, how do you look at America differently? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, black women are at the forefront of so many of these movements, and I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So how does that change the way you think about the movement? Mm-hmm. So what I would like to see happen is when people are teaching American survey courses, U.S. history courses, that they are acknowledging and sharing the stories of some of the women that we wrote about in this book, mm-hmm. women and girls. I keep mm-hmm. saying that because mm-hmm. there's a whole mm-hmm. field of, of mm-hmm. black girlhood study. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Marcia Chatlin, Lakeisha um, Simmons, Lakeisha Simmons mm-hmm. and Cheryl uh, Eddins, I'm saying her name wrong, mm-hmm. um, but um, Crystal Eddins down at, at UTSA. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a whole body of work on girlhood and mm-hmm. childhood and mm-hmm. younger women. And I think that mm-hmm. is, and we're seeing women that are 12, 13, 14 years old, very active mm-hmm. and doing all kinds of things mm-hmm. in, at, at an age that we wouldn't necessarily expect that and that mm-hmm. we haven't necessarily acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with all that. I think the only thing I would add, too, is just... A, a little bit more recognition about how black women's activism hasn't has never just been only for themselves. Mm. I mean, you know, even and this is I think like when we close with like, Patri- you know, Patrice Okuma, right? Mm-hmm. That, like this is, you know, this is this black woman, mm-hmm. right, who's immigrated from Congo, mm-hmm. you know, who mm-hmm. basically takes to the Statue of Liberty, right, in defense of of migrant children at the border, mm-hmm. right? It was, to me, it was a classic example. These examples mm-hmm. where the black women mm-hmm. never stop placing a demand 
right, out there for justice, Mm -hmm. but that when they do that, it's principled in this way that is about justice that will elevate it for everyone, Mm -hmm. not just for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I would would add, too, that they were one of the things that surprised me, not surprised me, but through every time period, black women were involved in multiple movements. Mm -hmm. So they weren't just like a a one-shop, you know, person that they were Mm -hmm. focusing Mm -hmm. on one cause. Mm -hmm. They were involved. Their activism crossed three or four different Mm -hmm. social justice issues. Mm -hmm. Right. Across every time period. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you think of women that were enslaved, that were fighting for their freedom. They were also fighting for the right to vote. They Mm -hmm. were fighting for Mm -hmm. literacy. They were fighting for their children's rights, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. You see that when you go into the more modern times. Mm -hmm. And so that was something else that we think people need to recognize as they think about this book and about Mm -hmm. the history of black women in the United States. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So just to kind of think about the fun stuff, uh, what was your favorite part um, or your favorite narrative or historical figure in the book, um, and why? Mine's easy. Mine's <laughs> Isabel Elvera, de Elvera. We spent a year researching her, and just to try to understand the journey, the travel, the route, the weather, the time of year, what she might have been experiencing on traveling. We mapped out how many miles she traveled, how many miles she might have traveled per day, and who else was with her? Who, you know, who else did she interact with? All of that, like just trying to reconstruct that just made me think about her in a much different way. I was just in awe at the boldness of her claim that she demands justice and she she's not bound by marriage or slavery, which is one of my favorite lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that she wants to protect herself. So black women are not only protecting their communities and others and trying to think about other people, they're also trying to protect themselves as they navigate spaces mm-hmm. that feel very violent. Mm-hmm. So Isabel de Overa is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I have so many. I do, but I'm not going to cheat today. <laughs> Right. Um, I I have a lot of love for... All right, it's two names. It's Francis Thompson <laughs> and it's, it's Mary Lucille uh, okay. Hamilton, right? Mm-hmm. 1963, mm-hmm. right? Black woman who was protested in the 60s in Alabama who goes mm-hmm. to jail for five days and faces a fine because she refuses to answer a white judge until he addresses her as Miss Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, I just am in awe of that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am. You know, you think about it and, you know, and she fought it all the way. It goes all the way up the, you know, the court system. Mm-hmm and is overturned, right? You know, she wins this justice. She is entitled to be treated with the same respect that any other person going before the court is as a black woman. Mm-hmm. So I, I just blows my mind every time. Because you think about Southern justice mm-hmm. during this moment, I mean, you know, this is the same time period where, you know, Fanny, you know, Hamer is like, you know, beaten unmercifully, right, mm-hmm. in custody and permanently mm-hmm. disfigured. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the kinds of mm-hmm. brutalities mm-hmm. that black women faced mm-hmm. when they were arrested and jailed mm-hmm. in the South during mm-hmm. this time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but such is the, you know, commitment to mm-hmm. this, right? To being you, respected. You mm-hmm. miss Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Period. Period. <laughs> Full stop. Mm-hmm. Right? As my mother would say, it was, with 14-point font. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so, so definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. So and thinking about the usefulness of this book and how it can be read and undergrad seminars, book clubs. Yesterday we had someone who was telling us that they were going to read this for their next book club um, on the airplane. Uh, can you discuss the next steps for this work? Um, are there going to be any online or young adult version? 
Yes, there. Yes, 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 and yes to all of those questions. Um, we Beacon Press has uh, commissioned someone to adapt the book for young adults, and it will be out next January, twenty twenty one. So we're very excited to get that into the hands of younger folks. Yes. I think we also just recently got an email. Uh, from a K through twelve educator that was talking about um, resources for the classroom, so that's something we have to follow up mm-hmm. on and figure out how we can help mm-hmm. bring these stories so that there's other heroes, mm-hmm. um, sheroes that they can mm-hmm. learn about in, mm-hmm. in the K through twelve classroom. So that's one direction I hope the book goes in. Mm-hmm. Right, and they also have developed an online study guide mm-hmm. that can be downloaded and mm-hmm. used. Um, mm-hmm. That I think has some really incredible. Que- you've asked really incredible questions mm-hmm. too. They have uh, they have pretty awesome questions <laughs> in terms of going through the book and mm-hmm. kind of thinking through these themes in, in mm-hmm. some different and layered ways. Um, That's available so, on the Beacon website. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some, you know, so, you know, I love the audio book, so that is also, you mm-hmm. know. We've, we've received compliments from the woman's voice, mm-hmm. Janina Edwards. You know, they love her voice. We've had oh, wow. people write to us. They said it was so soothing. And we actually got to listen to a few different people to, mm-hmm. to choose who we wanted. We loved her voice. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I keep referring to yesterday. Yesterday, you both gave your first book talk together, which was excellent, by the way. The questions were great. The presentation was excellent. Um, And you discussed a little bit about the feedback and people's responses. How does it feel to have your work, your intellectual labor, be recognized and appreciated by both academics and the wider public? And I'm thinking... Uh, more specifically, Dr. Girls, you showed the photo where there was a baby and the book was on the baby and thinking about this next generation um, of, of scholars. That picture is incredible. Yeah. It's so, I know, right? It's just breathtaking. First of all, that baby's so cute, right? You want to bite her. She's so adorable. No, um, you know, I've been really... I think it's, I've been really deeply touched. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, they're always going to be sort of the, the trolls mm-hmm. right out mm-hmm. there, you know, and that this work is, is not exempt. But I really have sort of understood the work as a collective project. Mm-hmm. And so it's just been really exciting to see so many other people also excited about it, mm-hmm. right? You know, that people are, are you know, excited to read it, that mm-hmm. they are inspired, they mm-hmm. are learning something mm-hmm. that they didn't know. I mean, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um and that people are viewing this as the kind of history that they can pass on, mm-hmm. right? To young black girls mm-hmm. is like, you know, mm-hmm. that's everything for me. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. It's, when we write books, we don't think about the response. You just, we're in such a zone, at least for me, I'm in such a zone when I'm writing. I don't really think about what, I have an intended audience. We talk about the mm-hmm. intended audience, which was a larger pub- public plus also the academic market. So mm-hmm. we were thinking about two different reader levels of readership and trying to capture that. Mm-hmm. But you never know how people are going to receive it. So when you when we before the book was released, we had we made some lists, you know, Ms. magazine, Glamour magazine, mm-hmm. um, Washington Post, you know, all these lists for February which were we were very honored. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to know that it has that sort of crossover effect. Mm-hmm. And we're just pleased that even our sister scholars mm-hmm. are happy with it. That's mm-hmm. like the yeah. most mm-hmm. that's the biggest compliment Definitely. for us, mm-hmm. I think. Definitely. And that this is not just our book. It's it's everyone's book because we didn't write this in a vacuum and we didn't write it alone. Mm-hmm. So we always want to constantly mm-hmm. cite black women, mm-hmm. thank black women. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just black women that contributed to this. There were other scholars mm-hmm. yes, as well. We had, we, had, we had our brother scholars yep. take a look at yep. it mm-hmm. also, help with the research. 
Um, I, we also had black um, queer scholars mm-hmm, also mm-hmm, read it and, and mm-hmm. help. Because that was super important mm-hmm, for me, too. Mm-hmm. And I also I'm also really pleased to see, too, that, like, you know, black independent media is mm-hmm. also engaging it. So like the Root mm-hmm, and the Tribune mm-hmm. and Color Lines, mm-hmm. also like these other features as mm-hmm. well. Because we did try to be expansive mm-hmm. and engage this breath, that we want we want to be in conversation, mm-hmm. right, with all of these mm-hmm. communities mm-hmm. about Black women's history, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in a complicated and a, in a layered way. Well, I think our time has come to an end. But Dr. Girls, Dr. Barry, I humbly thank you for allowing me to interview you. Thank you, Sight Black Women. You're doing important work, groundbreaking work, and thank you. Thanks Thank for you. Us. Thanks this for having fun. us. This was awesome. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sight Black Women. Follow us at Sight Black Women on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and our new website, www.sightblackwomencollective.org. And remember, it's simple. Sight Black Women. We theorize, we produce, we revolutionize the world. Thank you.